We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. Wow, this time already, it's flown by. At least it has done for me. I may be in the, in the minority here, but I didn't enjoy the Euros in the slightest. Found it all quite boring and dull. But I'm really pleased that the new new season, domestic season, is around the corner. And we can see the Arsenal again in a lovely red and white. Granite Xhaka is an Arsenal player, and that's very exciting. And uh, yeah, everyone chill out. We're going to buy players. Don't worry about it. There's a way to go still. So um, I'm pretty confident we're going to buy some more players. So I'm not going to start panicking just yet. It's too early, too early for that. As you may have guessed it, this podcast is going to be largely about transfers and our squad so far and um, where the guys think we have to improve, where we might not improve and so on and so forth. Um, So in today's show, Elliot, Paul and Tim will be discussing everything about the squad and um, as as I mentioned, transfers. So yeah, enjoy the podcast. We're here to talk about a proud institution that's been around for hundreds of years that seems to be destroying itself from the inside. No, not that country. No, not that one either. We're talking about Arsenal. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Oh, it feels so nice to be back in the seat ready to talk about transfers. That's right, because at the end of the day, it's not the matches we're here to talk about. It's the transfers, and so we have a transfer special with Paul, who hasn't been following transfers, and Tim, who hates discussing transfers, and me, who's just going to complain about Giroud. So strap in. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, Paul and Tim are here. Hello, Paul. Hello. You can find Paul on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. Tim is here. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Stilberto. I love that. If that is your real name. Um, and you can uh, write a review of this podcast uh, and please download it and share it and tell everybody about it uh, because this is going to be about transfers. So it'll be the one episode of the season that anybody listens to. Um, sadly, we don't have a lot of them to discuss at this stage. Um, we have a exceptionally well-named Swiss midfielder we'll talk about and a Japanese starlet. But let's start with the transfer that didn't happen the summer did kick off with Granite Chaka. We'll get to that. But I want to talk Jamie Vardy for a minute. There was supposed to be a podcast actually a little while back to discuss the impact Vardy would have on the squad. So I'll start with you, Tim. What is your opinion? And obviously none of us know specifically, but what is your opinion of of the Vardy situation in terms of why we went after him, why he didn't come? How did How did you resolve all of that in your mind? I think uh, the reason we went after him is is pretty obvious in terms of 
you know, the striker market is very, it's a very, very bare cupboard um, at the moment. And I think, you know, ordinarily, this is not the sort of guy that Benga signs. He doesn't spend money on 29-year-olds with, you know, fairly shady histories, uh, shall we say, uh, with certain incidents. I mean, he's taken a gamble on, you know, bad boys in the past, shall we say, the likes of Anelka and Van Persie. But they've always been a little bit younger and you felt that perhaps, well, they've, they've probably just got a bit of maturing to do and Benga can take them under his wing. And, you know, Vardy, not really that type. Really, I think it's just becoming clearer and clearer that, um, you know, we've been working our way down a list of targets for several summers now, having failed to land several strikers. And this was just another one on the list. This was just like number four or five on, on that list. And... I don't think he was mad keen on Vardy per se, but I think he just looked at it. Um, someone told him that there was a release clause because that was not public information. In fact, when Vardy uh, signed the contract in March, it was said publicly that there was no release clause, which we know now not to be true. And I think they just thought that they could get it done quickly, get a problem position pretty much sorted, um, at least for kind of two years or so. Um, and that then we can move and kind of do other business. Um, and it looked for a long time like it would be quite simple business to do. Um, and, you know, if, if a club finds out about a release clause that isn't public information, that's because they've been given that information by, um, you know, somebody close to the player. So I think we can assume that Vardy was keen. Um, and then, for whatever reason, he, he, he seemed to change his mind um, at the last minute. Uh, I, you know, I, I think even had we landed Vardy, we might be feeling a bit better about the squad because we'd have, you know, the golden boot winner from last season in the Premier League. He wouldn't really need that much in the way of um, adaption um, to, to the league or even really to the team. But there still would have been question marks and not just over kind of his age, um, his history. Um, I don't think any of us give much of a shit about his resale value. And, you know, for for people that kind of accuse Wenger of stinginess, I think people have to realise that this was, we were putting down 25 million for a 29-year-old. We were never going to see any of that back. Um, that's actually a bigger economic gamble than putting down 50 million on Lukaku. Because if you put down 50 million on Lukaku and he doesn't work, you probably still get 30, 35 million for him in two or three years. In fact, if the inflation in the transfer market continues, then probably a mid-table club in two to three years would think, well, OK, Lukaku's a mid-table striker um, and we can afford 45, 50 million now uh, because of the TV money being realised. So... It was a big economic gamble. I think there still would have been stylistic questions um, given the types of teams we face and some of the kind of deep packed defences. And I think you saw during the Euros for England, England faced that same problem. And, and actually Vardy didn't, he, he was quite anonymous in games against the likes of Iceland and Slovenia, mm. uh, sorry, Slovakia. Um, so there still would have been questions. And I think Wenger knows that, but I think it was kind of a move of desperation but one that they thought they could get done quite quickly um, and obviously it hasn't worked out that way yeah well and also by it not working out it saved all of us including especially including Takuma Asano a great deal of uh, ethical rationalizing that we would have had to do so you know the whole he's a cunt but he's our cunt thing well no he's not <laughs> our cunt so we can go back to being a cunt um, Paul Without diving too much into your thoughts on why the transfer was something we went after or why the transfer is something that didn't happen, was Jamie Vardy a player that you wanted to see at Arsenal? And how do you feel um, about him not coming? Relieved or dismayed? Gutted. Well, I was gutted. I'm over it now. Uh, no, I thought I thought he'd be a really, really useful addition. So you were um, in the he's a cunt, but he's our cunt camp. <laughs> well, I'm... No, not really. I, I was in the the he's a bit like Suarez camp. Um, that stuff that stuff doesn't really bother me as much as it seems to bother most other people. 
Well, they're um, not they're not joining your family or sitting with you at dinner. So yeah, it, it's not only that. Um, I guess I don't think that our perfect boys are that perfect, and that bad bad boys are all bad. I don't think Luis Suarez is a horrible individual. I think there are things about him that are a bit repulsive, but I think every so I won't go. You know, I won't get too carried away. I just think everybody's a bit of a work in progress. And when, you know, here's what I think about Vardy. Wenger always talked about how you needed, these are the wrong words, but you need that kind of street roughness and you don't see it in Europe anymore. You see it in South America. That's why those guys are all fucking animals. So, you know, the holding his nose for Vardy, he was going to have to hold his nose for quite a few of these South American footballers, you know, your strikers. They're rough. Yeah, uh, he, you know, Diego Costa is beyond the line, but there's lots of other utter wankers, and that's kind of the kind of so, you know, Wenger will make, and you can find various quotes over the years. He will make an exception for a particularly talented player, and in this day and age, that basically means a striker or somebody who's going to get him some goals. That. And looking down the other end of the spectrum to my l- favorite person on the planet, Theo Walcott, <laughs> he's a lovely, lovely boy. But we'd all swap some of that loveliness some for some street ugliness, some getting in somebody's face, somebody, you know, this irrationality, this getting fucking worked up over shit. What did you, th- did, you think, did you think of, you think of quickly, though, he would have been a bit for us against what we often see, which is compact defenses and 10 men behind the ball yeah well so this is what i'd say sometimes the reason we see so much of that is because we don't take our counter-attacking opportunities and the one thing i did notice about jamie vardy is he was extraordinarily good at taking his counteracting counter-attacking opportunities um so you know in any game Sometimes it baffles me when I go back and watch a game a second time, just how much of the game is not 10-man behind the ball. That just isn't what happens in a game all day long. That's how we remember it. That's how we play it back to ourselves. There are many counterattacking opportunities or opportunities where we did move them around, switch the play. Um, So, you know, even... If you decide he's that limited, um, he might be the guy that turns it, that stops you having to face 10 men in the box all game because you actually took one of your opportunities in the first 20, 25 minutes, banged it in, and now they need to chase the game. Now you can counterattack. So I think he'd, be, he'd have been a great option. I also think he's more than that. Um, and I think part of the re- uh, you know, the short answer to why he didn't come is. I don't think he got enough love from Arson. I think he was looking at, would he be the main man? A sense of, you know, had Wenger moved away from Giroud as the likely striking option? And I think maybe to Tim's point or his positioning of Vardy's role in the team, um, I don't think he necessarily got the feeling that Giroud would no longer be the the center forward for most games. Uh, Vardy might well be playing from the wing uh, in some games, kind of like the Theo Giroud uh, balance. And I think maybe part of why he backed off was not being the main man from a striker standpoint where he's, he's king at Leicester. Yeah. I mean, I mean, maybe he also was worried that he couldn't live up to the level at Arsenal, that the scrutiny would be too significant, that the spotlight would burn too brightly. I mean, some people, feel better being a big fish in a small pond and with a with a better contract coming for him, that may really have been good enough. You know, in a town where he'll always drink for free and the bright spotlight of celebrity won't shine on him quite as hotly. I mean, you look at, at Tim, even on this podcast, right? He's a pretty regular Arscast uh, guest, but he still comes back to this one, you know, um, where he can really, really shine and, and be one of the, the, the bright spots of an otherwise fairly dull endeavor um let's talk a little bit chopped liver <laughs> yeah oh yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm serge Gnabry. yeah at maybe at, maybe that's james at best um yeah. 
yeah, you, you can be you can be Takuma Asano. Well, I guess that doesn't Ooh. work from an age standpoint. Um, you can you can be Per Mertesacker. How about that? You can captain us. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, you're you're a little slow, but but you're strong of character. Uh, so <laughs> let's talk about and real quick. Let me put a code on the the Vardy thing. I, I think Vardy is the frustrating worst and brilliant best of Wenger in one move because Wenger looked at a guy who scored tons of goals in the Premier League, clearly seemed to be cut out for the league, um, had some of that tigerish spirit, had the pace, could clearly finish, and he said, you know what? I can get this guy for $25 million. Other strikers out there that I'm even remotely interested in are going to cost me $60 million. This is an absolute steal that leaves me a lot of resources to go and strengthen my team in other places. And strategically, it's brilliant. And at the same time, it's terribly frustrating. Because at the same time, I never felt Vardy was the level we should be shooting for. But the level we should be shooting for is going to cost you 50, 60, 70 million. So it's, it's brilliant, Wenger, because what a tremendous bargain for a proven Premier League player at an age where he can still perform for the next year or two and help the squad. But frustrating, Wenger, because just go spend the 50 million and go get the guy that you really want. You know what? Go out with a bang. Go throw 80 million on the table at Dortmund and see if you can get a Bamiyan. Go go buy Lukaku. Go get the guy you really want. Don't get the guy that's a bargain. Go get the guy you really want to see play for Arsenal who's who's going to help us forget Thierry Henry and Dennis <laughs> Bergkamp and Ian Wright and and you know to to some extent Robin Van Persie and and guys like that. Anyway, um we did get a hell of a can good I, player. Go ahead. Yeah. Can I just ask a question? Because I'm quite curious and to get your thoughts on this. If Danny Welbeck was fit, um, do you think we'd have made the bid for Vardy? That's a really, really interesting question. Um, I think we still wanted a striker. So you and I have discussed this. I don't think either of us believe he's totally sold on Olivier Giroud. Um, and I think he's been looking for someone to be the first choice instead of Olivier Giroud for a while. I mean, he did go after Higuain and then turned his attention to um, Suarez, and I think there's some credibility to reports that we were looking at Benzema. So he's wanted that Rolls-Royce striker. Um, I think he probably doesn't go for Vardy. You're right. I mean, maybe he maybe he feels like then he, he's only going to buy someone if it's, it's really that Rolls-Royce footballer that he wanted. Um, but I mean, he even made the point, Tim, right when when Welbeck went down, that now he has he has to buy up front yeah. because we're short. Yeah. Um, we did get a hell of a player. I think we should discuss him. I think it's easy to get lost in the negativity of the mood right now, and we will certainly get lost in that negativity before it's all said and done. But it's uh, it's important to remember that we started strong. Um, so I, I guess I, I can start with you, Tim. How excited are you about Asano? No, I'm kidding. Um, how excited are you about Granit Xhaka? Um, what what do you think his role in the midfield will be? I'm really, really excited because I've been waiting for, and I'll caveat this by saying, you know, I haven't seen an awful lot of him. Uh, you know, I watched him at the Euros. I've read about the type of player he is. And I, I think we've been crying out for that type of player for quite a long time. Um, certainly at least the last two seasons when it's just been clear that Mikel Arteta... Um, didn't have any legs left and I think you could have even argued before that as much as I love and admire Mikel Arteta and think that what he brought to Arsenal was very very undervalued um, you know he still wasn't world class in that role he was better at it than people thought he was but still not a vintage player at the base of that midfield I thought Coquelin was a lovely surprise um, who became important to the team very quickly and I, I really liked what he did I do think that perhaps in the second half of last season we started to see some of his limitations and it looks to me like we've got somebody um, at the base of that midfield who can at the risk of oversimplifying who can do who brings both of their qualities um, so someone who can run around like a headless chicken and go crashing into tackles and win the ball back but someone who can pass the football as well, probably someone in the mould of Emmanuel Petit. Um, and that's really, I think, what we've been after for such a long time. Um, you know, even going back to when we we narrowly missed out on Xabi Alonso because Liverpool didn't get Gareth Barry. You know, we've been looking for this player probably since 
that summer where we lost Gilberto Silva, uh, Lasana Diara and Matthew Flamini all at the same time. We've been really looking for this player. Um, and I think what it gives us in terms of, I, I'm, if Arsene Wenger's spending £30 million on him, then he's a first eleven player. Um, and I think what it gives us is it gives us a lovely, lovely spread of qualities in that midfield. When you think about El Elneny, Cazorla, um, you know, Granit Xhaka has, has now been added. You know, you've still got Wilshire and Ramsey there. Um, you've got just about every type of central midfielder that you can think of. And I'm absolutely fascinated to see how Arsene Wenger uh, kind of brings them all together. Um, I have my suspicions that he's been kind of looking towards adaptability for quite a while. So he's been looking towards being able to play two or three different formations or systems, depending on the type of game. Um, so I think maybe Shaka has been bought as a present for Aaron Ramsey, perhaps, um, for a lot of our games, so that we can go to that 4-3-3, maybe, that we saw a couple of seasons ago. Um, that's probably too open for some games. So, you know, we can bring in, maybe bring, you know, Cazorla or Elneny into the base of that midfield as well. It gives us so many options in terms of how we shape that midfield. Um, I hope that there aren't too many options and it doesn't become too confusing um, because that, that is always a risk. You can upset the stability of these things, but I, I think it makes the centre of our midfield look really, really strong. And I think he just ticks a lot of boxes. Um, we were missing someone at the base of that midfield that can put a tackle in and then pass the ball. Um, and I think Wenger doesn't usually spend big money on a holding midfielder. He usually either tries to convert somebody um, or he has a young player in there or in the case of Arteta, he just moved Arteta back a bit. This is the first time, probably since he bought Gilberto Silva, that he's gone out and bought an established um, defensive midfield player with a fair price tag and just gone, I want him, I'm having him, he's coming into my starting eleven, And I think that's, that's very, very exciting. Yeah, it, it's certainly exciting. I think it definitely leaves a lot of room for confusion about how he's going to set the team up. I mean, Cazorla was a big part of our success last season. Ramsey is obviously um, someone who I think is very highly valued at the club but hasn't really settled into a position where he's excelled uh, like he excels with Wales, for example. Um, you know, Elneny has just come in. Is he just a squad depth addition? Does Coughlin, who was so inspirational, slide right out of the side now? Paul, if you had to set this team up with everyone fit and by everyone I mean everyone that could conceivably be fit so not Danny Welbeck but you know with Jack with Ramsey with Giroud Alexis Ozil Elneny Santi Chaka probably naming people six or seven times over but with with, the, with the, the group of players that could conceivably be fit by the end of the summer how do you, how do you want to see it set up yeah so I, I thought Tim's overview was really good. The one thing that cries out to you when you watch this guy is that he's a midfield general, like the classic. Because we haven't had this. For, well, we have. With Santi was the guy that people looked for in the center midfield to decide how we're going to play, what tempo, how we were doing. He was right. kind of the bellwether. But, but in a way, a bit like Arteta, it's kind of their second. It, it, this is their second career. This is a guy who was born and bred for this. He's a, a thoroughbred midfield anchor. And it just, it's in every, uh, uh, like Tim, I haven't seen him that much, but from what I've seen so far, it's in every, you know, crevice, excuse me, nook and cranny of this guy. Uh, the other thing that you notice with him, not only is that command, that presence, the kind of, when Bastian Schweinsteiger was good and not a funny caricature type uh, mentality that they bring that we just haven't had. The other thing he seems to be is just ice cool. I'm not talking about he doesn't, yeah, red cards and he gets heated, but ice cool under pressure. He's just, he's just, he just rides the situation. And that's why I think 
he'll be the guy. He's the interface to the defense, midfield, setting the tempo, all those kinds of things. In answer to your question, what I want to see is him and Santi. I'm hoping Santi comes back strong and fit and gets at least one more more good season because what he brings in midfield is just superb. And uh, maybe Granite doesn't quite have the athleticism of Coquelin to help cover uh, Santi's little legs, but hopefully he has enough of that for most games. Um, Obviously, Ozil is your third midfielder and then Ramsey on the right. Um, I suspect in the medium term, short and medium term, Wenger is looking to have it work out with Ramsey. But I don't know that you can make any assumptions about Ramsey being one of the two pivots. Um, You can make an assumption that's what Wenger would like to work. But I don't think you can assume it can work. I think it's going to be trial and error. I I agree El Neni's a really, really good, to me, looks like now, a really, really good squad player. Cockerland the same. Uh, I maybe don't quite share Tim's feeling on uh, I know what he's on, talking about in terms of him tailing off a little bit or, or showing maybe his shortcomings towards the end of last season. I think a lot of people felt that way. I didn't really. I think I, I thought he was just coming back and, you know, a different partner every week. I, I still mostly liked what I saw with him. But when I put him up against uh, Chaka. You know, he is never going to have that mentality and quite the opposite. He's never going to be the guy that people look to in midfield to say, well, what do we do next? You know, we're on we're in trouble. You know, how do we respond? Do we speed it up? Do we control the play? We're we're a goal up with 20 minutes to go. Do we go after this or, you know, do we play some possession? Do we sit back and. You know, the the plan is one thing, but the guy who sets the tempo, the pace, who has that leadership, um, at best it was Santi. Before that it was Mikel. Now it's Chaka. So I think, you know, I think he's he's the rock in midfield and you build on that and it's trial and error. But Ramsey will get the first shot maybe, depending on Santi's fitness. Mm-hmm. And... Then El Neni and Coquelin will get their go. I, I don't think Coquelin and Chaka makes a huge amount of sense, but I think it will work a lot better than people think. I think Coquelin will keep developing. He just he just can't be a Chaka. Yeah, I, I mean, I think as long as we're going to play a midfield too, I just have never thought that Ramsey is perfectly well-suited for it. First of all, Ramsey is a guy that you want to be able to operate further up the pitch, I think, to get yeah. the best out of him. I also love the idea of playing Cazorla and, and Shaka together, at least theoretically, because then you have two guys who can take the ball off the center backs, take the ball you know, in their defensive half, and are comfortable with the ball at their feet, can distribute well. Santi can dribble past a first guy and carry it through the midfield. I mean, you could even say, as much as Jack Wilshere has become basically a joke at Arsenal, that putting him with someone like Shaka back there, again, someone who can carry the ball you know we missed that with Riziki last season being out the whole season and Jack and and especially when Santi was gone we didn't have a ball carrier in midfield someone who was comfortable beating the first guy in midfield and advancing the ball into positions to distribute um where there were where we had numerical advantages so I think with Cazorla and and Shaka you have good recycling of the ball you have two players that are comfortable receiving the ball with facing the the back four and turning and distributing, which is something Coughlin obviously didn't do. And with Cazorla, Cazorla could take the brunt of that work, but Ramsey, I don't think can. Why not play a four, two, three, one and let Ramsey drift a little more central from one of the two wide positions in that three. Let Ozil play right off of, um, you know, whoever we're using at striker. Or I think right now we're probably presuming it's Giroud and give Alexis more of a free roll to come inside as well. And I, I agree that that makes you a little bit narrow, but you can certainly use your fullbacks for width and you can also, you know, try to play through the the center of the defense a little bit more, which is something that we, we just weren't very good at last season. I, I love and I the... Think, I, mm-hmm. And I'd just like to add to that because I think that's right. I think San, not only do Santi and Chaka give you um, those options in midfield, Santi and Ozil were the kind of like two machine gun turrets um, peppering the 
the the teams who sat deep against us and we somehow one point of creativity isn't enough we we saw it for more than half a season with Ozil that he couldn't do it on his own but when it was Cazorla and Ozil one of the two of them would find angles cutting across from the other side so you you always had an angle through and a run to be made. And one of those two guys would be spotting a run. And I think that was so much more powerful than just one of them on their own. Yeah. I mean, it, it's unfortunate in some ways because Granit Xhaka is a player who, if he's every bit as good as we hope he is, still will not do too many things that get the attention of pundits and highlight reels. Um, mm. You know, he's not the two-footed, last-ditch tackle-type player that Coughlin is, and he is certainly not uh, going to play tons of key passes or score goals. So he's going to be a lot like Arteta if he's really good, which is that he's going to complete 90% of his passes, 100 passes a game, uh, make a few key tackles, not get dispossessed, and keep the ball moving. Um, is that kind of what you see from him, Tim? And just really quickly, without getting too deep a dive, what would your ideal front, call it, you know, front six be? Um, yeah, I, th- I mean, I think effectively what we've got is that we were dependent or we became dependent on that axis of Cazorla and Coquelin, um, which, which was a good partnership. I think the issue is that the two of them together um, basically make one good midfield defensive midfield player because Cazorla's not going to charge around into tackles and Coquelin's not going to pick passes. And so effectively you've got two players taking up what in a really, really good team should be one spot. Um, you know, Busquets, for example, um, he does both those things on his own. Uh, and we needed two players to do that last year. And I think Jacker has been bought with a view to plugging that gap so that we can get, um, and I still think it's, it's about getting Aaron Ramsey um, because we know how much the manager rates him. He always plays him. Um, I think if you look at Ramsey's best season, he was the second midfielder in, in a midfield three. I don't think we'll see that in every game, um, but I think we might see it a lot, particularly at home. We need more goals and we might not be able to get much more than you know a decent striker this summer. And Ramsey's a good goal threat and he hasn't been, I say hasn't been allowed to be, that's, that's, that's too... Being uh, forgiving too generous of him. to him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But at the same time, we know that there's the potential for 15 to 20 goals a season in Ramsey that, that we haven't really seen largely, you know, to do with largely with the system that we play. And so if we need more goals and we can't airlift them in um, that easily, then, then he's a readily available source. And I, I do think we will see... Um, we will see a three-man midfield of Jacko, Ramsey and Ozil. Um, and I think that would be my preference for about 60% of, um, of our games, perhaps, to have those three, um, to have Alexis. At the moment, I would have Iwobi, but again, I'd, I'd like to think that we'd buy someone quite established. Um, and if we can't get a brilliant striker, I would really like, a, a, you know, if we can only get a, a decent striker, I'd love us to get like a top class wide player um, so that Iwobi can kind of grow at his own pace, really. Um, so at the moment, with the squad as is, I would have Iwobi and Alexis. Um, I'm not a huge fan of, of, of Giroud in in that front three and with the way the team's shaping up. And I, I know this is a point you've made a lot, Elliot, that I think is a very good one. It's not so much Giroud's quality that causes Arsenal a problem. It's that he doesn't really fit into our style or the style that we want to play. And I see this kind of mobile, almost, you know, counter-attacking team um, that doesn't prize possession so much and that doesn't have the need to hold the ball up quite so much that that wants to be nippy and mobile and then we've got this guy in the centre of it and that's just not his game. Um, he's very good at what his game is, but that's not his game. Um, so, I mean, at the moment, I think if you've got, you know, if you've got a better ball-playing base in the midfield, 
I wouldn't be adverse to seeing uh, Theo Walcott drive through the centre again. I think we saw last season when the balance of the team was in his favour, when we had Kazola fit and we had a couple more ball players and we were able to bring Alexis in from that flank that, that he worked very well up there. Um, and I, I think, you know, for, for his faults and for his recent form, I think that's a better fit for him and, and possibly a better fit for the team. And I think mm. as much as I've been critical of Theo Walcott's form, the, you know, the chips were really, really set against him last year because we lost all our ball players. Um, he ended up playing on the left, you know, playing on the left wing with Ramsey and Flamini behind him. That's, of course, he's not going to produce his best in, in that kind of environment. So if you've got a better ball playing base, then... You know, I wouldn't be averse to seeing Walcott through the centre with the squad as it is at the moment. But obviously, there's 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 room to change that around a bit. So you could put Kazola in midfield, and you could put Aaron Ramsey on the right. And I'm absolutely not averse to doing that at all. I think he was superb there. Um, and all footballers seem to have this really annoying, very. I find it so annoying how many of them are just so um, insistent that they must play through the centre. And sometimes I think you get a much freer role, actually, um, if you kind of start out wide. You don't have to be obsessed with the screen graphic of you being a winger. If you've got the liberty to come inside, that gives you a lot of freedom and that, that grants you a lot of liberty. Well, you're often but facing just one defender instead of you know, two exactly. centre-backs, a defensive midfielder, potentially another holding midfielder. Precisely. Like, like when Theo Walcott was kind of banging in 15, 20 goals from the right and then he's going, right, I want to be a centre-forward. And you think... But you're, you're scoring loads of goals from the right because that's you know because you can be very effective from there. Uh, but it, but this is something that all footballers they all want to play through the centre, and I, I think some of them just lack perhaps the footballing intelligence to realise that um, actually you can get a lot of freedom, um, you know, by moving out wide a bit. And I, and I wouldn't be averse to seeing Ramsey out there if if, if that suited the team better. Yeah. I Look, every, everyone knows playing up through the middle is how you sell children's books. I think that's you know that's what Theo that's where Theo's head was at. Um, you know, it's, it's funny, and people call me crazy, but like you know, I look at how France played, and one of the players that really shined for France, especially with Giroud in the lineup, was Antoine Griezmann. And I don't think it's crazy to suggest that Aaron Ramsey could do some of the things that Griezmann could do um, because he has an eye for those runs, and and you know he has an eye for goal when he gets close to goal, but like. With Ozil in the squad, there's really no way to play Ramsey that way. And then you put him back in a midfield two where he's got Ozil in front of him and, and Giroud occupying the center of the pitch and he's far from goal and you start to say, are we maximizing his his, uh, his capabilities? And it, it really comes back to something you've talked a lot about, Tim, especially last season, which is, is the squad just built in a really strange way that has a lot of players kind of sort of making do with a position that isn't necessarily ideal for them. Um, and, and that's a bigger problem than who's in the squad. It's how you know how you fit those pieces together. I do want to move on, but Paul, I'll give you last word on this. I mean, is is Ramsey the, the mystery we have to solve to make this whole thing work? Yeah, I think there's a number of players who trip over each other. And if you look at the comments of Theo and Wenger just at the end of the season. It's almost like they both came to the conclusion, one of them was already on, uh, on that page, that Theo should play from the right. I mean, Theo backed off a lot on where he played to he just wanted to play, and it was quite nice out on the, out on the right wing. And Wenger has made comments that sounded like uh, Theo gets that... He needs to that he's good from the right wing. So I think if Theo's still at the club at the end of the summer, and my how that conversations changed out there. Everybody thought he was definitely gone at the start of this summer, um, but there are no definitelys with with all of these players. I, you know, we had a long list of players who who would go. Uh, I don't think we all feel quite as strongly that they're all going now. None of them um, are going right now. <laughs> none of them are going right now. So. You never football's a funny old game. So if he's with us at the end of the summer, I think his daytime job will be playing from the right, maybe as a super sub 
though injuries may allow him to play a lot of games from the right, because we've got no width. We know the story. As things stand, Giroud and Alexis trip over each other in the middle. Uh, Alexis doesn't go wide. We got no width. And so Ramsey gives you some width. He runs in behind more than he gives you width. But oh, if he'll actually put, you know, the other problem was Theo would play from the right, but he'd creep in to like the center forward spot a lot. Um, as opposed to when he played with Van Persie, he, you know, he'd get to the byline, he'd push the boundaries, he'd stretch the pitch. And if he goes back to wanting to prove he can really have an impact from the right, he's a weapon. So Yeah. Oh, um, he's a weapon, all right. Um, wait. Yeah, look, but, I... Th- but yeah, I think there's a lot of players tripping over each other. I think uh, I want to add on Iwobi, who I love. He can get in behind, but he's tending to play, again, kind of moving in towards the middle into the same space Alexis and Giroud can often be found. And so you still have the problem who's going to stretch them, who's going to get in behind. And it's kind of Ramsey and Theo. Mm -hmm. And they can't both play from the right. And I agree with you in terms of, you know, it's been a long time since Ramsey was a success as the second pivot. I know it was some number of years ago, but when you count how many years ago it was, he was a younger player. And what I think we have a problem with him and Alexis in that their career, their success, their ego is tied up with their international performances. And they're never going to be happy playing at Arsenal in a different way. You know, Jack's another one, but seeing as he's never playing and never fit, that's not a huge problem for us. But I think you've got a problem getting them to play in an Arsenal way when their Wales or Chile um, worlds are the bigger worlds for them. And they play in a different way at those clubs with freer roles to do whatever the hell they like. Yeah. See, see, I think we could do more to give Alexis the role that he has at Chile, but I don't think we can do that for Ramsey because we have Ozil where he is and Alexis where he is. Here's what I would say about Ramsey and why I think he's so important. He is the best player at Arsenal we are getting the least out of, if that makes sense. Um, Alexis is a great player and we're getting a good amount out of him, maybe not as much as we should. Nozel is a great player, and we're getting a ton out of him. Ramsey, Ramsey, at least we think, maybe kind of sort of is a spectacular player, and we are getting far short of spectacular results from him. So if Ramsey is a spectacular player, we have to find a way to get spectacular performances out of him um, because there's not a player of his quality coming into the squad this summer from the looks of things. Uh, let's move on to the colossal disappointment and and... Uh, tremendous disaster that is our front line. Um, Tim, at this point, just really quickly, couple-word answer, and then, then we'll dive into it more. Do you think we will get a striker this summer? Yes. Okay. Do you think we will get a big, international-quality, well-known striker or a project? Um, neither. I think we'll get another Danny Welbeck sort. So fairly well... <laughs> Fairly well renowned, known, but probably in the kind of B category of strikers. Okay. Do you think we will get another attacker in addition to that player? We will definitely try. Okay. Um, yes, yes, I do. So, as it stands right now, with neither of those players in the fold, on a scale of one to ten, where one is chill out, man, Netflix and chill, everything's fine, we're winning the title by a walk, and ten is burn it all down, burn it all down. How worried should we be about the state of the squad today? Um, I'm probably about three. That's it? Um, at the moment. No, yeah, well, I, yeah. I mean, sorry, if the window closed today, what I mean is like if this is the squad uh, we're going right, to have. Sorry, that's sorry, what I meant. Sorry. sorry. Um, yeah, no, I'd probably be pushing towards an eight. Better, um, better. Because... I like it. That's pitchforks at least, <laughs> and an A4 paper. I mean, we know for an absolute, almost an absolute fact, we cannot win the league without another striker. We knew that when we had Danny Welbeck fit. We we definitely, like, because we've done it, we've tried it, haven't we, many, many times. And it's, <laughs> it's where, where do we always fall short? Goals. We always, we don't, we haven't scored enough goals in the last few, I mean, it's so obvious. And, and Arson knows it as well, which is why every single summer he, he chases a big striker. 
Um, so it's very, very obvious. I think the way it may end up um, panning out, uh, and, and you know, not not to mention, of course, that with Welbeck in, injured, we're short on numbers, uh, let alone quality. Um, I think the way it may end up panning out is that we'll maybe reluctantly put the money down for someone like Lacazette from Lyon, who, you know, if if you remember the way the Danny Welbeck signing came about, for instance, I think it might be a bit like that in that I don't think Wenger was ever 100% sold on Danny Welbeck. He, did, he didn't even do the striker. deal. Gazidis bought him and dumped him in Arsenal's lap. You didn't read that? I'm, I'm pretty sure and, I read that somewhere. <laughs> and well, Welbeck was training at London Colney on deadline day with England. I mean, he literally jumped into the net. Yeah. And it still looked like we wanted him on loan. But it was one of those where Giroud was injured and we had to do it because our choice was Sonogo otherwise. And um, Well, he, he's obvious. back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> It was it was pretty obvious that that wasn't going to cut it. So I think he reluctantly signed off. As as good as much as I think he admires Welbeck and likes Welbeck, I I think he was reluctant with that one. I think we might see the same again. Where the money might go down is on um, a, a kind of a wide player uh, for that front three. Someone like you know, and and we were in. I'm ninety percent sure. Uh, that we were in for McTierian from Dortmund very seriously, that we wanted that done nice and quickly. That was devastating. Uh, I, I wanted him much more yeah. than I wanted Vardy. Yeah, yeah, same. And, and I mean, if you look at what Arsenal have tried to do this summer, effectively they tried to buy, before the end of May, McTierian, Vardy and Jacker. And if we'd have got all three of those, you'd have been looking at a squad right now thinking... Yeah, that, yeah, no, maybe. Just we about, need to, yeah. Yeah, you know, now we can worry about whether Kieran Gibbs leaves and we need another left back or what the hell we do with the reserve goalkeeper. All of that's massively on the back burner at the moment, that kind of fine-tuning, because um, we only got one out of the three. But I, I suspect that we'll reluctantly put down the money, probably for Lacazette or something, and then on deadline day you might see, I don't know, a Draxler um, or something at of that ilk. Um, and I, the, I would take that ilk. That that ilk would be just fine ilk for me. Absolutely, absolutely. And the, because we've had to use so much energy doing it when ideally we wanted those three big fish in the barrel um, by the end of May, that we'll probably still end up with uncertainty over players like Theo Walcott, Kieran Gibbs, um, the reserve goalkeeper situation. Joel Campbell. Exactly. And so what you might get, we might just about get over the line with those kind of three signings, but there might still be a, a, a fair level of uncertainty with some of our squad players, which, you know, may or may not manifest itself uh, during the season if those players start to stagnate or get unhappy. Yeah, uh, it's it's. Right now, it's really bad because you also have to factor in that Alexis probably won't start the season. Giroud may well not start the season. Ozil may not start the season. Um, I'm probably and if for, they do, you know, it's because... Uh, and if they do, they're not going to be fit or sharp. It'll be like when Alexis came off the bench against West Ham yeah. last season. It'll be rushing them back to nobody's benefit. Um, yeah. And, you know, you start to take those pieces out. And we are... I mean, look, I, I know I can be a little bit cynical... Um, I like our squad okay, but like you start to take Ozil, Alexis, Giroud out, and it's really mediocre, um, certainly in the attacking half. Um, and then you get back to squad construction because you have Ramsey and Wilshire and Cazorla and Coughlin and Elneny and Shaka and <laughs> no, one, no one up front. Our second best wide player, if you class Alexis as a wide player, our second best wide player is probably Joel Campbell, who the manager doesn't even want at this, the club, as far as we know. So... Unless you think it's Theo or Oxley Chamberlain, I, I think you have a hell of a debate about that. Um, Paul, if it's Theo, uh, oh right. no, that wasn't the question. Well, well, what I will say about this is, the I can't remember Theo having a good game out wide after getting the striker role briefly. Since then, when he played out wide, he was terrible. Yeah. Um, but but anyway, right now, if you had to add two pieces to the squad and only two pieces to the squad. Are they two forwards? Is that, is that where we need to add if we're going to have any hope? Uh, a Draxler, I think, would change our whole front line and our attack. 
Would you try to convert him into like the Robin Van Persie? I think there's some people that have suggested maybe he could be a Robin Van Persie style striker um, instead of a wide player. Or, or do you see him as the wide player and then we still need a striker? I see him starting as the wide player because I think that buys you a lot. Um, you know, I, I agree with everything we've said on Giroud that Wenger lo- would have taken a Luis Suarez, obviously, which would have made Giroud the, the, the backup, the alternate, uh, the option. Um, I think if he brought in a Draxler, he might well hope and look for him to become that player. I mean, he's talked about everybody who came in from Alexis to whoever as, you know, potentially being, a, you know, Podolsky as being convertible to a striker. So it's very much how he would see it. Uh, but it, I don't see him starting this season as the central striker. I think he'd be very happy to use... I think if he got somebody as good as Draxler, he might be okay with his attacking options. We mightn't be, but he might be, um, in that he would think that was the necessary piece to shake up our our front three and make the whole thing much more impactful and to give give Giroud the kind of foil to make him more deadly mm-hmm. um so i i think if his wide player was good enough um he might not be looking for two um i think the, you know the other question is um I think defensively we have some some questions that need answering. So if there were only two players, I'd probably pick a Draxler if we can get somebody as good as that, mm-hmm. and somebody defensively. Somebody I don't that. know where. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it depends. If 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 Callum Chambers, if Wenger is really cooled off on him, uh, but but if the guy's good enough. Uh, it doesn't seem like we were giving him much of a shot, but if Fenger thinks he's good enough, then we have our four at centre back, mm-hmm. um, and we need full backs. So it's really amazing. I mean, if you think about it, the preseason starting and like there's real questions about full back, centre back, backup keeper, striker, wide player. I mean, there's there's a lot of business ins and outs still to do, and I. The last time I can yeah. ever remember the squad needing as much done before the season starts was the the deadline day dash, you know, a few seasons back when we got Arteta and Murdasacker. And, yeah, those were, I believe there had been an unfavorable result maybe in Manchester just prior to that happening. Um, all right, Tim, question for you, because that's how this works. Um, red wedding. Player, <laughs> player, unfavored player that you could conceivably see having a really strong season for us and making a difference for us this season? Um, oh, that's a good one. Um, because a lot of that is tied up in who, who we end up buying, really. Um, uh, let me let me I'm, answer that for you. Uh, his name oh. starts with no and ends with one. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm um, kidding so because I'm, I love... Uh, <laughs> Unfancied player. I'm going to say Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. I um, thought you might, because I, I really, I really, really think there's a good player in there. And again, not to entirely excuse the season he had last year, which I don't think anyone would say was was close to good enough, really. Um, even me, who, I, who has who's kind of sympathetic towards him, I. Just like Walcott, I don't think the team was really set up for him. Again, if you're part of the front three at Arsenal and you look behind you and it's Ramsey and Flamini building play, you know, for for a player like Oxlade Chamberlain, you know, there needs to be somebody in there that's a bit creative, like a Cazorla, um, or maybe like Iwobi on the other flank, someone who's who's got a slightly different style. What Chamberlain had last year, the same as what Walcott had last year, what Ramsey had last year. The reason all these guys underperformed is they're all in the same category of player, and the team just didn't have enough enough of a mixture to it. And I maintain if you reverse the injuries last season, and you know you take those guys out, and let's say Arteta. Kazola, Wilshire, and Rosicki were fit. You'd get the same problem, but in a different way. It's too many of the same types of player. Mm-hmm. Um, so while Chamberlain, you know, that doesn't 
that doesn't mitigate the fact that a lot of the times his his second touch was a tackle um, or indeed a goal kick. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the team wasn't quite set up to get the best out of him. He, you know, he got injured towards the end of last season and he's he's having an extended pre-season this year. So he went back early. He flew out to the States to do a bit more rehab, a bit more training, came back to training a couple of, came back to London Colney a couple of days earlier than everyone. And, you know, he had a really good pre-season last year and, and never really built on it. And, and this year, I think he must realise that he's quite possibly in last chance saloon. Um, the problem that Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain has is in our current setup. Alexis gives him some problems because, again, they're similar types of player, but Alexis is much better than him. And Chamberlain is going to have to be the one that kind of adapts a little bit if he wants to fit into that team because he, he's always going to lose out to Alexis if it's a straight choice between the two. So he's going to have to adapt his game a little bit. I think he's smart enough to realise that. I think he's smart enough to realise that his form last season wasn't good enough. And I think he's smart enough to realise that this is a, a really make-or-break season for him. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I fancy him to do it, actually. Yeah. I would say that if we don't get a wide player, there's certainly a clearer path to that happening because after the names Alexis and Giroud up front, if it's not Ramsey, it's who? And then you're talking Theo, Ox, or Campbell, and we know the one that the manager would prefer it to be. Um, how about you, Paul? Just real quick, any uh, any unfancied play- Do I even need to ask, or should we just say Theo and move on? Um. You don't really need to ask, but I want to make this point on it. If Theo settles into the playing on the right as a winger and stretching to play and go deep, and Giroud learns how to use his right foot uh, at the near post to meet those runs like Van Persie, another left footer, used to, they could be a killer combination. But that's not what they did last year when Theo played on the right. And Giro is nowhere near as good as Van Persie at clipping those uh, not quite tap-ins, but those kind of curl it with your right foot at the uh, the near right post. post. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't want to do the where are we going to finish this year thing because too early. it's too early. We don't know what the squad's going to look like. We'll have plenty of time. Um, I do think it is fascinating because we felt going into last season we were ascending to being right there on the precipice of, of winning or competing for a title. We all know what happened, but now with Klopp having a full transfer window and more time with his players and Mourinho at United spending all the money and Guardiola the same at, at City um, and you know just the money in the league leading to some really big names moving to mid-table clubs, I think it's a much murkier situation. So it just puts the emphasis further on the job we have to do in the market between now and, and the end of the window. But just really, really quickly, I want to end on this. I'll give you each just a quick chance. Tim, I get it. You can't always get every deal done early, and we did try. We wanted Mkhitaryan, Vardy, and Shaka in b- before or by the Euros. But how damaging is it? The window doesn't close today, thankfully. How damaging is it, do you think, to not have the business you need to have done, at least in the main, to, to have a preseason to gel together. Like, let's say we wind up getting a wide forward and a striker on deadline day. In your mm. mind, does, you know, do, then they need a month to gel. You've already lost the first month. Can that alone be a season burned at that point? Uh, potentially, yeah. Particularly when you look at the fact that um, the fixture list in those opening couple of games hasn't exactly been kind to us. Take you know, friendly, no. You know, we've got Liverpool and then we're away at Leicester. Um, and those are going to be two very, very tough games. Um, so really, that yeah, there is there is a, a big need, particularly when we've had so many players kind of going far in the Euros who are either not going to be available or who are going to be rushed back um, as things stand at the beginning of the season. I mean, to some extent, you, you can't really do anything about that. That's just the cost of having good European players, that's that's just going to be a problem you're going to be presented with. Um, yeah, I, I do. I think it could be damaging. It could be damaging because, like I said, I, it looks like the plan for the summer was 
let's get the three big ones in the bag nice and early and then we can spend you know in, ultimately who cares if Kieran Gibbs doesn't go till deadline day and we don't replace him till deadline day you know you can you can haggle over that kind of window dressing business but now it looks like we're going to spend the majority of the time trying to get you know trying to go to plan b for those, those kind of bigger sort of starting 11 signings that are needed so yeah i mean potentially it could be very damaging because you know if you're competing for the league title you you know we're not going to win it by if we're going to win it we're not going to win it by 10 points are we so every single point is precious you've always been so um, negative tim that's the thing that makes <laughs> you really hard to listen to yeah <laughs> so you know like points aren't disposable at any point of the season because they you know they carry equal weight throughout the whole season so if you lose the first game of the season like you never get those those points back whether you lose them in august or may so it's it could be it could be potentially very damaging yes and 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 i think Carson wenger knows that because you know like i say if you look at the scraps of evidence we have it, it looks like he's tried to get that business done really quickly um and you know why wouldn't you like what what possible rationale could any football club have for not wanting to do all of its business as quickly as it possibly right. could well and and um, i think some of it depends also right on whether you have a squad that is close to where you want it such that it can be in reasonable shape. And then, you know, if you can add that wide forward who gives you a little something extra on deadline day, great. Um, I think the problem we have is kind of an ironic one, which is that like we could afford to be four players short in midfield and still trot out a functional midfield, but we, we have Mm. nobody up front. Um, So there's such a huge burden there. I, I, we're approaching the hour mark and I, I think there's only so much of this that, that the listener can take at the best of times, let alone the middle of the summer. So we'll wrap it up. But, Paul, just real quick, because I don't want to short shrift you on that. I mean, do you think that the state of the squad as it stands right now is going to mean that um, whatever transfer business we do get done, if it's late in the summer, we're just going to really struggle to hit the ground running this season? I think that's a concern, and I think a, a big concern. I think the other big concern is – Two years ago, after a major competition, we were probably the slowest starters. And you'll remember Arson point. Yep. Yeah, making excuses about how tired various players were after... Ozil, Mertesacker, Jer- Alexis, yep. Yeah. Um, and really, uh, you know, our, our rivals had similar challenges at the end of the day. Okay, they didn't go to the final necessarily. But, you know, it, it took us took us a long time to recover from that um and here we go again so that would be the other little nugget i'd throw in there the 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 one consoling thought is sometimes you put out a different kind of a team and uh you know bringing in alexis last year against west ham didn't help and i kind of feel the same way let's go with who we've got and uh, maybe that's what we did against manchester when we got uh, beaten 8-2, but um, that's an unusual event. Um, I think, uh, you know, the team, we got to get past basically two or so tough games, Liverpool, Leicester City, Liverpool's at home, Leicester City away. Um, Yeah, it's a concern, but maybe who we have. It's a good thing we don't have Champions League qualifiers. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, that is, that is actually, I mean, all kidding aside, yep. that that's a huge blessing for us uh, this season. So that should do it for now. I want to just end any suspense for those of you who are wondering why we made it through an hour of discussing and didn't mention uh, Gonzalo Higuain. That's because it's not happening. So <laughs> let's not uh, fool ourselves. Um, I love the idea, and look, I could wind up looking really stupid about this, but I love the idea that a couple years ago when he was a little bit younger and a lot cheaper, we didn't wind up stumping up for him when Napoli raised the price, but now we're ready to spend $80 million and send Giroud the other way. Uh, which, oh, by the way, wouldn't solve our numerical problem up front. Anyway, uh, but I digress. It has been a pleasure catching up with you guys, and uh, we will start to have more and more of these. We're going to do something a little bit interesting and different at the weekend. 
uh, to take your mind off of all of the exciting transfer business. Knowing our luck, we will post that podcast right as we announce Higuain and Draxler. Um, so anyway, uh, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner, and I hope you will, and I hope you will review this podcast and say nice things. Actually, you can say terrible things. Just give it five stars. Everybody wins. Uh, Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Stoberto. You can see his writing on Arsblog. You can hear him. Um, on the Arscast from time to time, which is what he uses this little training podcast for. Tim, as always, it's a pleasure. It's my pleasure. No, it's my pleasure. Um, no, and no. it, well, it's your pleasure, Paul. And Paul is on Twitter at Posing in My Pants. Paul blogs occasionally um, and uh, does not pay attention to transfers. So I hope you will take his opinion on this matter extremely seriously. In any event, Paul, it was a pleasure to have you. No, 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 no. It was my pleasure. Okay, I can live with that. Um, And the good news is, look, at the end of the day, you don't know what's going to happen. Leicester won the league last season. The world is probably going to go into some kind of World War III apocalyptic state prior to the end of next season anyway. So let's just enjoy the ride. Uh, We will be back with a podcast that will probably come out um, Monday-ish. So look for that. And until then, cheers. And uh, we will see you on Twitter to celebrate all of our new signings. Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. In the latest episode of History This Week, we take a closer look at a failed insurrection at the U.S. Capitol building in 1861, when the nation was on the cusp of a civil war. Nearly 160 years later, what can we learn from this moment when democracy was challenged? And check out all our episodes this month as History This Week celebrates Black History Month. Last week, we covered the Greensboro sit-ins that sparked a media firestorm and inspired mass sit-ins across the country. Next week, we travel to Australia and witness Sydney students taking a freedom ride of their own for Aboriginal civil rights. After that, we'll be exploring the origins of jazz. For these stories and more, subscribe to History This Week wherever you listen to podcasts. A cash recommends.